Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. Each episode is devoted to one piece of pop culture that we can't agree on. As a way of preserving the friendship and reaching common ground, we revisit the work, discuss and or argue its merits or shortcomings, and decide whether our friendship can survive. I'm Nate Goss. And I'm Ryan Ebling, and today we are discussing Spike Jonze's 1999 film, Being John Malkovich, which is a film that I love, but Nate seems to think is just okay. Now, after forcing him to watch it again, can I help Nate see the light, or will Nate remain trapped in a Philistine vessel doomed to passively observe but never share in the joy of the enlightened? Will our friendship survive? We'll find out. It practically goes without saying that spoilers will abound in this episode, so if you haven't seen Being John Malkovich, do yourself a favor and head to your local library, get a copy on DVD or Blu-ray, and watch the movie before listening. Now let's get on with it. Okay. Don't you want to know what happened to me? No. Please, please. This is important. Better be. It is. There's a tiny door in my office, Maxine. It's a portal. And it takes you inside John Malkovich. You see the world through John Malkovich's eyes, and then after about 15 minutes, you're spit out into a ditch on the side of the New Jersey Turnpike. Sounds great. Who the fuck is John Malkovich? Oh, he's an actor. He's one of the great American actors of the 20th century. Oh, yeah? What's he been in? Lots of things. Uh, that Jewel Thief movie, for example, he's very well respected. Anyway, the point is, this is a very odd thing. It's supernatural, for lack of a better word. I mean, it raises all sorts of philosophical-type questions, you know, about the nature of self, about the existence of a soul, you know, am I me? Is Malkovich Malkovich? I had a piece of wood in my hand, Maxine. I don't have it anymore. Where is it? Did it disappear? How could that be? Is it still in Malkovich's head? I don't know. Do you see what a metaphysical can of worms this portal is? I don't see how I could go on living my life the way I've lived it before. So my favorite film of last year was Spike Jones' brilliant film, Her. And Nate hasn't had a chance to see this yet, but with the Oscars coming up and with Jones's film poised to take home some honors, we decided to hash it out here over another Spike Jones film, being John Malkovich. Um, this movie came out in 1999, and it's an important film, if only for introducing the world to the screenplays of Charlie Kaufman, who had only worked as a TV writer up to that point, and for serving as Spike Jones's uh, first feature film. Um, he had established his name as a skateboard photographer and music video and commercial director. Um, this movie made about $22 million at the box office. It was received very, very well critically. Um, it has a score of 90 on Metacritic. It was nominated for three Academy Awards, Best Supporting Actress for Katherine Keener, Best Director for Spike Jones, and Best Screenplay for Charlie Kaufman. Not bad for a first feature. However, unlike her, it wasn't nominated for Best Picture, though in his four-star review of the movie, Roger Ebert said, either being John Malkovich gets nominated for Best Picture, or the members of the Academy need portals into their brains. So Nate, with all these accolades, with Roger Ebert backing this film, why didn't it impress you? <laughs> you know, I'm actually going to, let's talk about Ebert for a second, because, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I was reading his review, and he happens to also mention, in that same realm, uh, about movies that uh, come along that create a world for us and use it to produce wonderful things. He talks about Forrest Gump, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Babe, 
and there's something about Mary. So, okay. so, so let's put this Ebert review in a little bit of context okay, let's here. Let's, duly <laughs> noted. Duly noted. I will say, though, I do feel like in a way for this first podcast, we're kind of easing into this a little bit. Right. So it's, 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 it's a little bit of a, a lukewarm battle, actually, I think, because this is not a movie that I, t- I really had any sort of real animosity for or hated right. to begin with. Um, uh, it was more or less that you loved, 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 loved this film, and, yeah. and I and I tended to be a little bit more of the, yeah, I, I liked it. It was all right. Sure, yeah. sure. So, which I I will not, I will not accept. You have to love this film. But, <laughs> you, you, yes. So that's this is really what it comes down to is 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 are you going to make me absolutely adore this movie as much as you do? Oh, and, I hope so. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, uh, there are certainly other movies that have gotten us a lot more fired up, and we'll get into those. So, if this seems a little tepid. Uh, we'll have to ask our listeners to keep going. Right. Um, but um, I feel like there was something when I first saw this movie that I was missing here. And I don't know. Uh, what I'm wondering is if this was something that um, is has some legitimacy to it, if I'm just not as, or if I'm just not as much of a Spike Jones fanboy mm. as you are. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, it, and a Spike Jones is a filmmaker I, I do like. Um, and But I do think that uh, when it comes to Spike Jones, um, there, I don't tend to just give him the carte blanche that I feel like you do sometimes. <laughs> and uh, as I was looking through his credits, I noticed his last screenwriting credit did happen to be for Bad Grandpa, which I haven't seen, um, but but not quite on the same level as a her or uh, or or uh, being John Malkovich as far as critical acclaim. That's would go, true, so. but we are talking about being John Malkovich and not Bad Grandpa. So <laughs> I'll ask I'll, you I'll to, to stick get back to on track. The facts. All right. Well, to see where I'm coming from from being John Malkovich, um, I had to actually take it to the beginning. I've always like movies, but it really wasn't until after college that I started uh, calling them film. <laughs> so <laughs> we see the difference. Sure, here. sure. So you know, um, it, when before that, I really don't feel like I looked much more into movies uh, further than some sort of entertainment value, mm-hmm. whether I liked it or didn't. And um, it, you know, I didn't care much about how the movie was made, who directed it, how a movie fit into the larger picture of film history. Uh, it was more or less that I have fun, or was it cool? You sure. know? And um, that's about all I needed to know. This probably changed with Bergman's Seventh Seal, but we don't need to go into that. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it comes down to basically taking a, a film studies class. And, you know. Right. So at the time I watched this movie, I was most familiar with John Cusack and John Malkovich's bravura <laughs> supporting performances alongside Nick Cage and Con Air. <laughs> okay. I love Malkovich's Cyrus the Virus. His barbecue did indeed taste good to me. Have you, have you seen this, uh, Con Air? I, you know, I, I half saw it. I, I saw it after uh college just because people had raved about it but honestly i i did not pay very close attention to it so conair does not um doesn't sit in such high esteem with me <laughs> yeah i mean to me this was the movie this was this had everything you needed <laughs> okay it. john cusack the likable enough character is u.s marshal vince larkin the lone agent willing to give cages cameron poe the benefit of the doubt what movie are we talking about today <laughs> so when I decided to watch Being John Malkovich, I remember thinking it was a quirky, fascinating idea. Uh, I've heard good things about this. I like Con Air, so let's give this a shot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, um, I watched the movie and I basically ended up concluding pretty much what I went into it thinking. And uh, that was that, um, in this case, uh, Jones and Charlie Kaufman had an interesting idea. They ran with it for a while, had some good laughs. Fun. Mm-hmm. Case closed for me. The first time you the saw it. The first time I saw okay. it. Um, and maybe only knowing Spike Jones as the guy who did Fat Boy Slim videos <laughs> and made that really good Wilco documentary. Which are great. <laughs> Which are great. Now get me wrong. Uh, but maybe only knowing that made me think there wasn't that much more to it than that. Okay. And uh, I'm willing to admit that in hindsight, I could be wrong, uh, which was why I was really excited to revisit this film. Um, but I do had have... Um, the nagging suspicion that beyond the premise, uh, there's not a whole lot else there. And I also remember uh, when I first watched it, I, I just thought it was a little bit too long. Um, really? Okay. I couldn't, rem- I couldn't for the life of me remember how the movie ended. Um, and to me, um, that to me is sometimes a cue that if it's really supposed to be all that great, to me, why weren't these characters quite so memorable um, and maybe even forgettable? Why wasn't I more invested? Um, and to top that all off, I really hate Cameron Diaz. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, of, so really, I want to throw it back to you now. You went, when was the first time you saw this movie? And I want to, I want to hear yeah. what, what made this such an incredible film for you. Well, I, I'm going to have to go back a little bit too. I actually am going to go back a little bit farther because I saw this movie, uh, I think, if I, if I remember correctly, it was one of the first movies I saw on DVD. And I remember I was probably around 15 or 16, and I was also new to movies as film. Um, I had a friend who was a little bit more artistically inclined, and he had mentioned to me that he liked this movie. A friend of mine had just gotten a PS2, so we had a DVD player at nice. our disposal. Um, he was over 17, so he could rent an R-rated oh, movie. Yes. <laughs> um, so I remember we went and got it, and we watched it in the afternoon. I remember very vividly sitting in his bedroom on the floor watching this movie. For me, I count Being John Malkovich as one of my foundational movies in the development of uh, me as a film watcher. I, I count it along with um, L.A. Confidential and You Can Count on Me were two movies that at around the same time mm -hmm. I saw. Which, by the way, were two movies I also saw around the same time, and and I have since rewatched them and loved them a lot okay, more good. at the same time. So we don't have to battle those. All right. Okay. But <laughs> All right. So um, I, I loved, at the time, just... It was something I'd never seen before. I loved how unconventionally funny it was. There are lines from the movie that I have quoted or have run through my mind ever since I saw it. Lines like, um, uh, the symbol on the left is not a letter, sir. Or um, uh, in this wintry economic climate, uh, it's just stuck with me. I was hooked from John Cusack's first encounter with his new boss. I loved how dark and sad it was. It was just unlike anything I'd ever seen. Um, I have seen it since that first time, um, so I can honestly say that it isn't just the novelty um, or nostalgia that makes me love it. I think um, that it would still hold up as funny and um, effectively unconventional, not just quirky for the sake of being unusual. Um, offbeat, I remember it being sad and... Um, I was really looking forward to seeing it again just because I love the movie. I um, love Spike Jones. The movies that he made after that adaptation, um, for me, Where the Wild Things Are and Her just have solidified for me that Spike Jones wasn't a one-trick pony with just quirky stuff. Um, I know you don't love him as much as me, uh, so listeners can look forward to more Spike Jones to come, but... It was just one of those movies that blindsided me, um, but then over the years held up. So what are your thoughts rewatching it? Did it? Did your mind change? Have you seen some things this time around that you didn't remember? Um, how are things different for you now? I, I got to say, I, I, after rewatching this movie, I, I, I really, really, really liked it a lot more this time around. Okay. Um, and that's a good thing. I, 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 for some reason, I... I I don't know why I didn't think it was as funny the first time I watched it, hmm. but I laughed a lot more this time around. Okay. Now, I the thing is, I wouldn't want to just go ahead and uh, and uh, hand the baton over to you as sure. the victor of this match. I don't want to let you off that easy. Okay. I can't possibly let you think that you're going to be right all the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I do. I, I there are still parts of this movie that I struggle with. Okay. Um, but on the whole, I do have to say. I really like, I, I might even go as far as to say I, I, I almost love this movie. Almost this love it. Almost love it. Okay. Yeah. Now, That's in, a good starting so, point for me. Yeah, let, and actually, let's, let's talk a little bit about the rest of the Spike Jones canon and maybe where, this, where does this fit in with you in that? You mean as far as ranking? Ran if if you were, had, if you don't have to rank, rank it, but uh, where does this fit along with, you just saw her, a movie I haven't seen uh -huh. yet. You said that was by far your favorite movie of the year. You yes. love where the wild things are. I do. Um, so... In the realm of all the movies that he's made, uh, where where would you put this one? Um, well, I guess the more I see his movies, the more I see sort of a connection between all of them. Um, so I would hold this one in some pretty high esteem because I see themes uh, visually and, um, you know, um, just thematically <laughs> uh, that have continued. So... As a foundation, I would have to put it up there um, with, you know, with her as one of my, as my favorite of his movies, if that's answering the question. Um, sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just trying to think of, uh, I, I, I would definitely hold this um, 
you know, we, we'll have more talks about Spike Jones in the future on this podcast, I'm sure, because mm-hmm. I, I was not a fan of where the wild things are. Right. Um, and that one, I have a feeling, might be a little bit more of a bitter battle, uh, for me at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that uh, I can definitely, I, I haven't seen her, but uh, th- this would be probably um, at this point... Uh, my favorite Spike Jones. Movie. Really, it's surpassed adaptation for you. Then. Yeah, uh, that's another movie I need to revisit, though. Mm. Uh, now, on the other side of, let's talk about the, the sort of dual creative forces of Charlie Kaufman and Spike Absolutely. Jones. Now, in the realm of this Charlie is a Charlie Kauf- Kaufman movie. Th- th- exactly, exactly. And and so in the realm of Charlie Kaufman movies, where are you going to put this movie? Oh man, and, and see, that's that's so hard to say because I love everything he's done. I mean. I think Eternal Sunshine is one of my favorite movies, but I think that, you know, Synecdoche, New York is so much richer than right. the other ones. So I, it's, even though it's Charlie Kaufman, I think it's kind of apples and oranges to compare them. I mean, hmm. they're all up there for me. Maybe Confessions of a Dangerous Mind slips because it wasn't truly his vision, so to speak. Yeah. Human and that's nature, one I still need to catch up on. I haven't actually seen that movie. Human Nature is another one that I think he was still finding his voice as a screenwriter, but. Again, like I said with Spike Jones, this is so formative for their careers and for how I view them that it would, it, I mean, it's still up there with one of my favorites and probably always will be, no matter what else he produces. But you can certainly see, uh, like you said, this is a Charlie Kaufman movie. I know it's yeah. you're saying it's apples and oranges, but I do think that you can um, sort of see a progression even in Charlie Kaufman and and it's so easy to see that his touch on these movies oh, absolutely. And, and I guess what I'm trying to say is while I did like being John Malkovich a lot, mm-hmm. um, I still don't think I, I quite like it nearly as much as I like something like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. One of my all time favorite films. Sure. Um, and you know, uh, Snecky, New York, I just thought was, um, you know, it, that was a movie that, um, in a way, it, it didn't quite have the uh, entertainment value maybe even or, yeah. the, or the humor that being John Malkovich did that just kept it going. But there was yeah. something so engaging about that movie. Um, do you feel like there was even a progression as tr- far as Charlie Kaufman goes that maybe since being John Malkovich, um, he, he's maybe tightened it up a little bit or... Well, maybe, um, I think... So I, I feel like what you're saying is that you feel like Charlie Kaufman was still finding his feet with this movie. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's all over it. You know, don't get me of wrong, course, but, but uh, yeah, maybe it's a little bit of that. There are certain parts in, maybe it's even the characters themselves that, uh, or, I, or or a little bit in the premise even that that just it, I I had a hard time uh, being convinced of. I guess, and I don't mean convinced of in the sense of sure, how could this possibly happen? This right, portal to John plausibility. <laughs> Do you feel like the characters were a little bit more broadly written? Maybe he was trying to be a little bit too appealing. That he, he, I mean, certainly adaptation's way more personal. Mm-hmm. Synecdoche, New York, of course, is extremely personal. Yeah. So you've got Even Eternal Sunshine, you've got neuroses it's more, coming yeah. through. Uh, that I can see what you're saying, that, there, that the Charlie Kaufman voice has evolved since being John Malkovich. Um, but for me, I feel like Kaufman hit the ground running with this movie. I don't feel like that there were many missteps that... Mm-hmm. I would like to see him revisit it. I don't think it's a movie. I, uh, I think, I mean, you know how I feel about this movie. I, I've, I have a hard time finding fault with Charlie Kaufman's script, certainly. Right. So I'll admit I'm being a bit nitpicky here. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> because we have to have something to talk about. Right. anything. <laughs> <laughs> of course. We can't just say, oh, I love this yeah, movie this time we around. Loved well, it. case closed. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> Come back next time when we <laughs> might have something to actually talk about. But right. I get you. <laughs> what I'm trying to say, though, is I do feel like uh, I, I love um, Craig Schwartz, the John Cusack character in this movie. Uh, that to me is a great character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the fact that he just, he, he takes his puppeteering so seriously and, and, and to have that scene of him on the street uh, yeah. getting punched out. And I love, <laughs> and speaking of that and Charlie Kaufman, what I love about that is that Charlie Kaufman just immediately without any explanation, set this in a world where there are celebrity puppeteers and that, yeah. that um, onlookers can be dazzled <laughs> by, uh, what was it, like 20-foot-tall Emily Dickinson <laughs> dangling off of a, a bridge reciting her poetry. Right. I love, I mean, for me, that's, that's obviously Charlie Kaufman and, and hit the audacity to just right away start the movie with the fact that puppeteers can get jobs, just not 
at this point in time that there are sellout puppeteers, that right. there are gimmicky puppeteers. <laughs> right, right. Um, You're realizing this is in every field, I suppose, because huh? right. if it can happen in puppetry, it can happen everywhere. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, I think what I, I, I feel like you are trying to avoid um, your personal vendetta with Cameron Diaz, but that you are leading up to not liking Lottie and not liking Cameron Diaz. You know, actually, you'd be really surprised. Uh, it, it's Cameron Diaz, I was a little surprised at. I'm not going to say I've become a fan of hers well, from this think movie. You can. I mean, <laughs> she has proven since this movie that she is not well, the Cameron Diaz of being John Malkovich or, all or, the time. Or back to Ebert, that there's something about Mary. But, <laughs> right, right. But, but um, I, I will say in this, um, you know, she's, she's almost unrecognizable in this movie. Right. So, I, you know, and maybe that's why I kind of liked it a little bit more. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, I thought that. Um, her, her even her performance was was really interesting um mm-hmm. you know it was it, it was um it, it was just sort of she, she's this crazy animal lover so mm-hmm. she's got this this quirk about her um and there's just this little bit of sort of innocence to yeah, her it's that very... i think it's well portrayed by her mm-hmm. um and you know you you need that character, I think, a little bit because once she kind of steps into John Malkovich, right. you get to see that change in her a little bit. Tell me, what is this strange power that Malkovich exudes? You've got to help me understand because all I think about is wanting to be him. Wanting to what? Wanting to be him. Wanting to be John Malkovich. I see. Well, perhaps you can. But Dr. Lester... I am not Dr. Lester. I am Captain Merton. I don't understand. It was 90 years ago that I discovered a strange portal, and, and I found that this portal led to a vessel body, and that I could live forever by leaping from vessel to vessel. So Dr. Lester is such a vessel? Yes, he She kind of moves from... I mean, she's very childlike, innocent, like you said, loving animals. Um, seems naive, maybe a little dumb, but then you realize that she isn't. She was just um, living in her own world, and right. she needed this expanded experience to become right. a fuller person. And I, I, I don't think it's just the script or anything. I think Cameron Diaz does actually portray well um that shift and mm-hmm. it isn't just the frizzy hair it's not just the dowdy clothes she actually does perform well here right. yeah i i i actually I, I actually agree with you on that because okay. i i feel like um you know that um she plays well this person who did seem pretty fulfilled or just didn't even seem to think that didn't even think about the fact that there could be more out there or mm-hmm. or to try to aspire to anything else yeah uh, and that and that it's this john malkovich portal that completely turns that world upside down right. and, and makes things even more zany. And, and, you know, she's the one that's going through the subconscious change or chasing Maxine. That's a, uh, I think is, that's a, such a brilliant scene. Right. Yeah. And especially, um, I mean, Only that, Charlie Kaufman would put a chase scene in a movie, <laughs> in a movie. that's through subconscious. <laughs> that, that was a great scene. Great mm-hmm. scene. I think a lot of foreshadowing to what you saw most of the eternal sunshine, spotless mind, right. you know, and, and I think that, uh, and Spike the, Jones, you know, to think that this is, uh, this is, uh, um, Charlie Kaufman. This is his first movie, script, right? Full, yeah, full feature script. length screenplay. And, and uh, as far as I could find, and, and I have to give you know, Jones was the right person to. I mean, who else could read that script and and even mm-hmm. maybe even come up with an idea of how to film this? That I, the 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 subconscious chase scene actually was. Um, he had a an Adidas commercial that won a ton of awards for him, and he uses a lot of the same techniques from that commercial in um, that chase scene. So you're right. Uh, the execution could only, in my mind, have been done by Spike Jones. Yeah, yeah. Um, go ahead. But what uh, I felt like, if it wasn't uh, Cameron Diaz that you were trying to lead me to, I feel like you're trying to lead me someplace and asking about the characters and asking about Charlie Kaufman and uh, whether I thought that he, you know, if this script could fit in later or whatever you were asking. I want you to just come out and tell me where you were trying to lead me. <laughs> All right. 
Let's just lay it all out. Okay. All right. Cards on the table. There's two things that I keep asking myself mm-hmm. as I watch this movie. Um, and maybe it's because we are watching it through a uh, perspective that's been through um, years and years of reality television hmm. and this idea of, um, you know, uh, with, with just basically things like TMZ and the paparazzi just being this is this is much more in our face now than it maybe it was back in 1999. The but culture of celebrity, the you culture mean? of the, cele- the uh, yeah, but the ubiquity of the celebrity interest lives? in it, the interest in it. Okay, what I had a hard time realizing, and maybe it was more obvious back in in 99 or or new, but I could not seem to figure out what was so incredible about this point of view perspective. You know, you. It was just kind of a given, but never really explained that you went through this portal, you got to see life as John Malkovich. And feel. And feel like John Malkovich. And, and, and maybe this is very, very fundamental. I'm sure it's fundamental to the movie, and it's probably mm-hmm. a big reason why I didn't connect with it as much the first time. I will say, you know, aside from, you know, the, the feeling as far as like, you know, feeling the sensation of sex, mm-hmm. there wasn't to me a lot of explanation of why these people were coming out of the portal and really, really, really feeling like they needed to go back and, uh-huh. and that they would pay $200 for 15 minutes, you know, and, and I think it's funny that it's 15 minutes, just like your 15 minutes of fame, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it, it's just that it, to me, it was, um, there was, they were trying to maybe allude to this, uh, something in there that I was missing. And I don't know why, um, you know, I, I guess mm-hmm. I'll, I guess I just don't really get what was so 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 incredible because and maybe it's because now I think about the idea of like boy I could you know who's this big celebrity today I could live like that person for yeah. a day I could live like the Biebs for a day and <laughs> you know we all know where that goes right. <laughs> goes straight to prison right. <laughs> but, but I guess the point is I I I wonder what what I I was having a hard time figuring out what the draw really was hmm. for this well. I, I feel like the movie doesn't explain it, and I think that that's probably for a reason. I think that if you are, uh, if you're hanging your um, understanding of the movie on that point, I think it might not uh, be right on the mark. Clearly, they don't list out everything that you're feeling, but from what I, from what we see, we can tell that you are feeling the way John Malkovich feels when he looks in the mirror, the way John mm-hmm. Malkovich feels when the doorman recognizes him immediately and hails him a cab. You're feeling everything that goes along with that. And the people who are paying for it are these people who are unhappy with their lives. Somebody like Cameron Diaz didn't realize she was unhappy with her life because she was kind of mm-hmm. fooling herself into thinking that the animals were the be-all end-all, maybe having a kid was going to make things better. And then she realized that it's, there are people who just feel good all the time Hmm. and it doesn't go into it um but you don't just feel what it feels like to have a penis necessarily but to have somebody be attracted to you to somebody treat you as important um the penis isn't bad either right no it's everybody should (laughs) get that feeling at least (laughs) um but that to me i think it's to the movie's credit that it doesn't dwell on that and um the movie doesn't dwell on a lot of things that you would initially um, think that this movie would be about. Sure. It's sort of um, the clip we played where Craig is telling um, Maxine about the portal. He immediately goes into the initial um, themes that I think a lesser screenwriter would deal with. The nature of self sure what it is to be and charlie kaufman lays them all out and says i don't want to make a movie about that <laughs> well he lays them out and then max when um john cusack says something like i need to, i don't i don't think i can live my life the way i did anymore that i think lesser movies would end there that that was the point of the movie you find out what it's like to be someone else live in their shoes for a little bit mm-hmm. and now it changed your perspective yeah Charlie Kaufman answers that with Maxine pointing to the window, indicating that John Cusack should jump. <laughs> yeah. And from there, the movie goes deeper. And it doesn't, it's not satisfied with talking about, oh, what would it be like to be somebody else? And right. the movie is all about manipulation, how we treat people around us selfishly mm-hmm. for our own selfish ends. Absolutely everybody in this movie is manipulating someone else. I think the only person who really 
Well, no, I was going to say Malkovich doesn't manipulate people, but he does. He uses Maxine. Um, Lottie, in the scene where she talks to um, Lester about wanting to be in Malkovich's body, she's playing him because she doesn't want to come out directly and say, hey, I know you've got a portal in Malkovich's right, body. Right, she's going to talk about she's manipulating him. of Malkovich right. Museum or whatever you want to call it. So she, acts, she plays dumb and is manipulating him there. And um, to me, the portal is a little bit inconsequential. Mm -hmm. The concept of the movie, just like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, is not about memory erasing, or her is not about being too close to your computer. They are all concepts that are vessels for a deeper exploration. Right. And so to get hung up maybe on something like that, I think is missing the point of being John Malkovich. But, but I do feel like even Kaufman is trying to make a point about that. I mean, there's a point, he is. there is a point Absolutely in there. He is. There's a point, there are points being made throughout there about the idea of living vicariously through someone. Definitely. Uh, there's the, there's the whole part about, um, you know, uh, Lottie saying to Craig, "Well, you have an action figure of Ma uh, of Maxine talking right. about his puppet he made of her." And yeah. the point she's trying to make is that, you know, uh, we all maybe she's not making it on this grand of a level, but the idea I'm getting is that we all have these things or these these crutches or whatever you want to call them mm -hmm. that we that we might build uh, to live vicariously through things or to know? make people be what we want them to be. Well, that's true too. Yeah. But I mean, and then just the whole idea of vessels and uh, what's what 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 the body really is. And if it was just a vessel, then John Malkovich certainly would not have been so haunted by his trip through the portal. And Malkovich, Malkovich. How was it? It was amazing this time. That was no simulation! Oh I know, I'm sorry. I, such an honor. I have been to the dark side. I have seen a world that no man should see. Really, for most people, it was a rather pleasant experience. I mean... That portal is mine, and it must be sealed forever for the love of God. Well, Mr. Malcolm, sir, with all due respect, I discovered that portal. I mean... It's my livelihood, do you understand? It's my head, Schwartz. It's my head! I will see you in court. What makes you think I won't be seeing what you're seeing in court? Hey, Malkovich, think fast! You know, I do think that there's at least a little degree of you needing to buy into the fact that this really is an incredible experience that people would want to do. If, if he has to explain to every step of the way, well, it's believable that people would pay $200 for this because people pay this kind of money to go on vacations or this kind of money for um, yeah. surgeries or whatever, any way that people self-improve. I don't think he needs to go into every way that we overspend to try to make our lives better in ways that aren't actually improving anything. Yeah. So. To me, it seems, like you said, a bit nitpicky to say that you just, oh, I mean, whatever, it's you. It's your perspective. You can say <laughs> that it didn't. That it's your it, perspective, you and it's a very nitpicky perspective. It is. <laughs> did it ruin the experience of the movie, though? What no. did you like? It, did you like, um, what did you like about it this time? What, 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 what changed? What, what was the different? As I was saying, I, I think it was just uh, I, the sense of humor was a little lost on me the first time I watched it, but this time it was right. It hit me right on, so I was laughing a ton. It's a, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just. I mean, and and what a the Doctor Lester character is just <laughs> amazing in this movie. Don't yeah. toy with Loris Schwartz. Oh no, if I was eighty years younger, I'd box your ears. I wasn't toying with her, sir. I wouldn't. Pardon me. How old are you, sir? One hundred and five. Carrot juice. Lots of it. I swear sometimes it's not worth it. I piss orange. Oh, and I have to piss sitting down like a goddamn girly girl every 15 minutes. But nobody wants to die. Ah, oh, to be a young man again, I Schwartz. <laughs> Maybe then florists would care for me. But the elderly have so much to offer, sir. 
They're our link with history. I don't want to be your goddamn link, damn you. I want to feel Flores' naked thighs next to mine. I want my body to inspire lust in that beautiful, complex woman. I want her to shiver with a spasm of ecstasy, Schwartz, as I penetrate her Dr. wet... Dr. Lester, while I'm flattered you would share your feelings with me, perhaps the workplace is not the most suitable environment for this type of discussion. All right, you're right, all right. I tell you what, meet me after work today at Jerry's Juiceteria on Lex, and I'll spill my goddamn guts for you. You know, uh, Orson, Orson, uh, Bean. Orson Bean, who, by the way, I was realizing, I'm like, I know this guy. He, he was in Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. Was Oh, he was. He was the, uh, he owned some store. Some store, right? He was he always was... the guy who disagreed with Dr. Quinn. <laughs> always, always, always. <laughs> was that a hang up for you? Well, you know, I didn't realize it until after I watched the movie, but I'm sure if I watched it again now, <laughs> you might... I'd be like, you know what's really not believable is yeah, that this guy. This guy's nice. This... <laughs> he was never this nice <laughs> yeah. to Dr. Mike. Yeah. <laughs> John Cusack in this movie is, is fantastic. I don't think you I've know? ever seen John Cusack be this good. He, I, yeah. for me, this is his best performance, whether it's my whether it's your favorite performance of his or not, I think I have, I've never seen him be so subtle and so sad and dark. I mean, it, usually if he plays sad and dark, it's not subtle. I, I feel like I do like John Cusack and he's good at what he does, but here I, I would never have picked him for this role, but he does, right. he does a great job. I think he really stretches himself in this mm-hmm. movie. I mean, I, think every, you know, mm-hmm. I, I love High Fidelity and, sure. um, and, and his performance in that, but it, it That's just a grown-up like John Cusack. Yeah, it's just, yeah. That's just yeah. Lloyd Dobler grown yeah. up. And you know what? I thought, This time when I watched it, that was different um, about Malkovich's performance. Malkovich as Cusack is amazing because there is a difference. There is a, it's, I mean, in hindsight, it's kind of a huge difference, but as it's happening, the reason I think I didn't notice it is because for some reason it felt like John Cusack acting like John Malk, like it, it honestly felt like he had taken control. So in my mind, I, that shift happened and it was John Cusack acting. And I mean, that I, that was remarkable to me, and it was it was it's reminiscent of Nick Nicholas Cage in uh, adaptation, where the Charlie and Donald mm-hmm. Kaufman characters. There's something that you just see that person. They don't have to say anything or do anything, but you can tell that they're being a different person. You can tell when Malkovich is being controlled by C- Cusack. Yeah, and I I thought that was a remarkable feat. Um, that for some reason I hadn't noticed until this time I I watched it. Yeah, and oh, I, I mean just the. What it would take to even take on this role mm-hmm. as John Malkovich is is kind of interesting. I wish I had a little bit of context to that. I know a little bit about the history. I don't know a ton. I, I know that he it was John Malkovich in the original script. When Charlie Kaufman mm-hmm. wrote it, he picked John Malkovich. And Malkovich knew about it and wanted to see the movie made, but he didn't think he was the right person for it and or the bigger big enough celebrity. And actually, somebody um, at the studio one of the first notes they sent back was, would you mind making it being Tom Cruise? Oh my gosh. What a terrible movie that would have been. Although, Uh, I might have understood why more people wanted to go into Tom Cruise's head. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, Malkovich was on board with the movie but didn't think he was right for it and it took some convincing um, from Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman to actually get him to um, act in it even though he would have been fine. He was fine with the movie being made. Um, so, um, yeah, but as it is, I can't imagine any other actor playing it. And I think that's a good joke in the movie, too, is the fact that everyone seems to know who this guy is, but no one, can seem, Jewel re- Thief movie. <laughs> no one can seem to really remember anything he's in. It's not important. You know? Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really brilliant choice, actually, I think. It is, that, yeah. Just for, that, just for that one joke, you know. And I think that is a conscious choice. Like you said, you can see why people would want to go into Tom Cruise's head. Anybody would. I would, and I'm relatively happy with my life. I I don't feel like I need to be somebody else, but yeah, I'll, I'll see what it's like to be Tom Cruise. But the fact that it's John Malkovich, I think, underscores the the people. It may it may not highlight the reason, but it really tells you more about the people hmm. that would want this. And I I feel like that might be what the movie's trying to say is explore what kind of person would rather than what would universally be appealing to this. I, I do want to talk about another hang-up I kind of had a little bit with the movie. Okay. And we haven't even discussed her yet, and I think that's the reason, is, is the Maxine character. Really? We have not even discussed Maxine at all, we, I know we and, haven't. And, and, I, mean, and, I mean, that's not what I'm saying really. I'm saying really is that it's a hang-up. I want to hear this. 
there's probably reasons that I'm just not seeing in this, but I have a hard time. Um, well, she's a character already, I think, intentionally. You can't really get a good read on. Mm-hmm. But what I'm wondering is I, I, she was just, in a way, so hard to get or to even um, connect with or to, um, I mean, obviously, she's playing someone who um, is maybe even the most manipulative of anyone in the movie. Absolutely. But, and, um, and, and that's understandable. I mean, I can understand Openly that, so. Right, right. Um, but I'm just having a hard time sometimes understanding um, <laughs> the motivations of these characters. You know, I'm a guy. I know how you can get infatuated with a woman and you have this idea of a woman. And before you know it, you're mm-hmm. just totally, totally, uh, you know, obsessed with a woman who is nothing like she actually is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had, I was trying to figure out at what point did John Cusack even see anything attractive about this Maxine character? You know, where was that even coming from? What, did she show? I'm trying to remember. Did she show him some attention that he didn't really get from Lottie at some point, no, or no. you know, I don't know where it happened. I or, think you know, honestly, I think Maxine is everything Lottie isn't, and I think there is something. I mean, the first time he sees her is in the um, orientation video. She's sitting in the back smoking a cigarette, not paying attention to the mm-hmm. video. Yeah, that's right. And that right there, that's like film noir right. attraction right there. So uh, there's just something alluring about, you know, the dame smoking a cigarette being aloof. Um, beyond that, I, I, I understand. I feel like when I first watched it, um, I didn't quite see it. I thought that she was mean to him and why would he stick around? But this time around, I saw that she was cathartically honest and straightforward a little bit. She, she says what she thinks. She sees things as they are and tells it like it is, which um, from the very beginning when they're watching the video and Craig turns around and says, wow, it's a pretty amazing story. And she says, it's all bullshit, you know. Yeah. And right there, she was saying something different and doing something different. Um, she isn't like Lottie, Lottie, who's living in sort of a fantasy world, ignoring the noise of animals in their house. Um, Lottie puts a lot of things out of mind and, um, is seen by us as innocent, childlike, Mm -hmm. naive. She's doting. She smothers Craig with her affection, which clearly he isn't a fan of. Um, so in contrast, Maxine is acutely aware of the way situations are she is distant which is probably a draw to craig um he he has to work to impress her um something he kind of likes the challenge of sure uh i i can see uh, on on first glance why maxine would be a difficult character but to say that you can't get a good read on her is is interesting to me because in my mind everything about her is right up front and right. It's interesting that that is uh, interpreted as hard to read. Well, maybe not hard to read as far as who she is, but more or less uh, the fact that she does obviously have this power where she can basically, it seems like she can seduce pretty much anyone she wants to. Yeah. And she, she seduces everyone in the movie, mm-hmm. even John Malkovich. Right. Because she's got to get that close to John Malkovich in order to experience these things mm-hmm. as, uh, you know, Craig and Lottie are in the portal as John Malkovich. Yeah. So, and they talk about once, once uh, Malkovich becomes a famous puppeteer in that documentary, they talk a lot about Maxine's influence. Right. And that she's the one who helped him get things done. So that, that continues throughout hmm. the movie. Right. Exactly. And I feel like there's this seduction element, um, that has to be mysterious. So mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily asking that she's, you know, <laughs> obviously you want, a, I mean, that, that is a very noir thing is you just have this mysterious woman who, um, has this power of seduction. And I guess what, what I had a hard time, um, understanding is, well, or maybe I just, who knows, maybe I just wasn't that convinced by it. I don't know. I, I just, to me, mm. it was a, it was a hard character for me to, to, to fit into the movie, I guess. I mean, obviously she has to be there, but, um, okay. Maybe she doesn't, I don't know. It was, um, yeah. Something about her was keeping these characters going. Yeah. And at some point I kind of had to be like, you know, especially, especially this idea that, um, especially when you see that, that tape of the history of this new Mm -hmm. John Malkovich, who's Mm -hmm. the puppeteer and, 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 
he's sticking with Maxine. And part of me is kind of like thinking, well, Maxine seems like a character that you would fall out of love with very quickly once you got to know her as she actually was. Right. And that didn't seem to happen in this movie. Now, that's not really what the movie's about, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to linger on that too much. I, I can understand that, and I think that the reason that Craig wouldn't have fallen out of love with her is because she never loved him. And um, Craig, she never loved him or Malkovich, and she was using him the whole time, and, I, and Craig clearly, obviously, has control issues. And for him, it's about... I, I, I think he... he he was trying to aspire to that constantly. And so he never having her love was never uh, in a position to get tired of her because he was constantly chasing her and constantly. Um, it was the pursuit. Sort of. well, it wasn't, yeah. The it, pursuit, the control, he never had the upper hand with Maxine yeah. and he is constantly trying to get the upper hand. Hmm. That's a good, that's, it's an interesting interpretation. And so the thing that happens the when their relationship breaks down, it's not because um, he's fallen out of love with her. It's she's bored with him. Mm-hmm. And she's the one who just decides that she doesn't want to keep leading him on, mm-hmm. not through anything that's like a concern for him. Just she realizes that she's not happy anymore, that this isn't the game. I don't know. They don't then, go into it very deeply. It's just, it's it's like 50 seconds on the fake documentary. But I, I that's just, but, but the, to your it, point, I think is... It's that it's again the issue of control, manipulation, making people be who we want them to be. Maxine, by being so carefully observant and so honest, Maxine almost represents reality. If I can go, mm-hmm. that's too a pretty cynical reality. <laughs> it is a cynical reality, <laughs> yeah. but she is constantly calling things as they are. She's never wrong. She's never lying. And so we can come back to this idea of wanting a better life, wanting a different life. Maxine is life as it is, Mm -hmm. cynical or not, it's life as it is. And Craig is constantly trying to change that. So Maxine is this reflection of reality. So the reason that he never falls out of love with her is that he is constantly trying to change reality and control it, but he Mm. can't. I can see what you're saying. And I guess that does help me to put it a little bit in a better perspective. I can see it a little bit more now. I do. I, I, I did. I, I mean, I find myself drawn to Catherine Keener's character, but I, I think the reason I described her as cathartically honest is because I kind of wish I could be a little bit more like her. Right. Um, I mean, not totally because she's not a great person. Uh, there's really <laughs> there's nobody. something alluring about that. Yeah. You that, know? that, yeah. I mean, there always is. So, and I think Catherine Keener plays it so very well. I, I think that there's a reason she got nominated. Um, for the supporting actress Oscar that year, um, out of all the performances, um, it, it's an odd choice. I think that you know Malkovich would be a little bit more of an obvious choice, and I'm kind of surprised he wasn't nominated. But um, John Malkovich winning the uh, Oscar for his performance John as John Malkovich in being, being John Malkovich. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably what they were trying to avoid. Um, <laughs> this just is too hard to say. <laughs> it's not going to happen. This is so much writing. Um, now, I remember when I first saw this, the ending, um, I, I, I didn't love the ending. I didn't quite know mu- what to make of it. Did you have any trouble with the ending the first time you saw it, this time you saw it? Like I said, I hardly remembered the ending. Mm. I, that's, and that to me was, you know, I guess, at the mo- I do think with this movie, if it doesn't hit you at, at the beginning as just with the jokes... Yeah. Uh, it's hard to stay with it. I, I can see that. And uh, I don't think that happened the first time I watched it. I just was not, I did not find it all that funny. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why I hardly even remember the ending of it. Um, yeah. By that time, I had probably not really given up because I did like it after I watched it. But I, it was more of an appreciation than a genuine affection for it. You knew you had seen something maybe I, yes, special. Maybe I didn't quite understand it. And maybe I didn't even feel like I wanted to to try to understand it more because... I just didn't have that much fun watching it the first time. Okay. But, you know, I do think uh, I was fine with the ending this time around. Now, uh, I, I think that this time around is when I really formed um, the meaning for me. Um, and to me, it, it comes back, and this is why I keep coming back to the movie as um, a being about control and being about how we try to make people what they're not and how um, selfish and alienating that is that... Um, Charlie Kaufman could have made it so that Craig uh, just lost out. That Lottie and um, Maxine 
are together and he's not with mm-hmm. them. But that is not the emotional punch that I think that he's trying to give to show how destructive and um, sad it is to regret treating people a certain way, how, how, how um, damaging it is to push people away and try to live with that, that I couldn't imagine anything worse than having to watch uh, passively and without any control, without the ability to look away. Oh, mm-hmm. that last line, <laughs> look away. It's uh, to me. It's just it's heartbreaking, and it really drives did, home that point. That now, did you did you interpret that as he physically could not look away, or did you interpret that as uh, he couldn't control her? Okay. Oh yeah, I think he he can't he can't see anything other than what she sees. Okay. I don't think he can close his eyes. I think that he is eternally and will continue, as far as I can tell, to be stuck in that loop. That he will be in the next body. I don't know if that's true, but that's how I interpret it. It was the most painful thing for him to to be watching them, and he couldn't make the child look away. Okay. He was it was completely out of his control. And this is where Charlie Kaufman's concepts are more than just hooks and more than just interesting. That they are um, vital to the interpretation of his movies because, like I said, there have been movies about regret, and there have been movies about um you know your mistakes and the way you treat people being something that you've got to deal with mm-hmm. but to me the emotional power of this movie uh relies on the fact that you know Craig is forever trapped and um I, and it's no it's it's interesting that it's not some higher power that's done this to, he's done it to he himself he did it to himself absolutely you know? that yeah it's not some co- cosmic punishment um, and it reminded me of a Pedro the Lion song, I think the the poison, where it says, um, my old man always swore that hell would have no flame, um, just a front row seat to watch your true love packer things and drive away. And in that song, that that you at least get to stop watching that once they drive <laughs> yeah. away. But in being John Malkovich, he can't look away. Huh. He, he's got to live with this for the rest of his life and their daughter's life and her child's life mm-hmm. and their child's life that um i mean again the movie's not overt about it you don't you don't sit there and say wow that movie was about controlling people mm-hmm. you would first and foremost say that movie's about a puppet guy that's kind of weird right. and this weird portal thing it's very easy to lose the forest for the trees in charlie Kaufman's movies but through no fault of his own i think that he has right seriously high respect for the viewer's ability to decipher what he's trying to say. Um, and he absolutely rewards multiple viewings and Oh, for sure. Yeah. Interpretation and engaging with the movie. I I feel like he is, uh, in this movie, he's, he's doing what he does best with his concepts and actually bringing them into a story that you can actually, you can, you know, it doesn't make sort of linear sense, but it makes enough sense that you can actually piece this together into a movie and deal with some of these concepts in a very, very entertaining way, mm-hmm. a very interesting way. Um, I feel like as his writing progressed, he worked a little bit better on his character development. And maybe that's, maybe, I feel like, Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind, and, and maybe it's more the director. I couldn't tell if it's more the director or if it's more the writer, but you immediately have, uh, you Im- immediately connect with, to me, um, you know, the Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet right. in, in, in Eternal th- Sunshine. And, um, you know, with this one, I feel like uh, the concept was more at the forefront mm-hmm. than the characters in some ways. I think you're probably right about that. And, um, I think that's just a little bit, you know, finding what works better for him. If I think adaptation, Eternal Sunshine, um, Synecdoche, New York, he he streamlined his focus. Um, being John Malkovich is about it's really about four people, well, mm-hmm. three people. I don't, I wouldn't say it's so much about Malkovich, but it's it's about Craig. He's, he's the vessel, in that. right? Yeah, he is. <laughs> uh, it's about Craig, Lottie, and Maxine. Um, if you think of it, about it as the premiere movie of Charlie Kaufman, there's no precedent for this kind of thing. I'm try- I was trying to think of any movie Absolutely. that even came close to this before that. So I can totally understand why it was critically adored. 
uh, and 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 why. I mean, this is just it's in in, a, in so many ways it really is groundbreaking cinema. Oh, it, it, even in the sense of like, there's that strange scene. I do not remember this at all from the first viewing where you get into the mind of the monkey for that one yes. scene. Oh, I thought that was. Yeah. It's got that sort of home video quality to mm-hmm. it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, what what's the precedent for that? Even I don't really know. Well, uh, the precedent you know. in my mind is Spike Jones's music video. Sure, there yeah. were that was something else that was great about the execution on Spike Jones's part is that he found ways to use his music video and commercial short form talent. You've got the orientation video, you've got the John Malkovich documentary, you've got the little sequence with Elijah, the chimpanzee. He did all these things. You've got the chase scene through the subconscious Mm -hmm. where he was able to play to his strengths of milking an idea for all it's worth in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Um, It was uh, in my mind, just this perfect marriage. I, the fact that they came together is remarkable and I'm glad they did. Right. Um, I guess what I was trying to say is for the, for the flaws that you might see in being John Malkovich uh, that you see maybe improved on in his later movies. Well, those movies had the precedent of, of being, being John Malkovich. Malkovich. Yeah, so he was You're able right. to almost say, well, this is like what I did in being John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's work a little bit more on this aspect. Of yeah. It. You know, so you can forget so much about trying to execute these really weird things. It's been done before in this movie. You do it. And we can like see that, that it works know? and yeah. serves the story right. and serves the themes. Absolutely. And I wanted to say something about the Elijah uh, sequence with the monkey. Again, in a lesser screenwriter, lesser director's hands, that would have been a throwaway joke that Lottie had a monkey who was going to therapy. But in Charlie Kaufman's hands, it becomes a <laughs> that, pivotal plot that, point. That monkey needed therapy. Yes, that <laughs> monkey, the, the reason for that monkey's therapy is a major plot. It right, shifts yeah. the story without yeah. that plot point, without that seemingly throwaway joke in the first 10 minutes of the movie, mm-hmm. the movie wouldn't happen the way it does. And I think that's brilliant on Charlie Kaufman's point uh, part. Um, so Nate, I guess that brings us to the question, can we still be friends? Uh, you know, I think, uh, we, it, because the, uh, in a lot of ways the, the discussion didn't start all that polarized. Yeah. Uh, I do think that we have come to a lot more of an agreement on this movie. I guess the question comes to you because I threw out a few things that, uh, maybe, uh, might've put a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, it, it might've, uh, just Stuck in my car a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. So, you know... Well, I mean, you're, I, I hate to respond to your responding to a question with a question with a question, <laughs> but how do you feel? Did I address those nitpicky arguments? Do you still... Are you still hung up on the motivation for people doing it? Are you still hung up on Maxine as, a, as an alluring character? I think you make a really good point about um, the Maxine being the most real character, and I think... Um, Especially, I can I, I understand exactly what you're saying about Craig's character never tiring of her because he's always trying to uh, get control over a character. And this is, you know, if I look at it that way, it's much more convincing. This idea that um, it's not so much that Maxine, uh, Maxine might have controlled him at first, but he and she never he he can never control her, but he's always going to try. Mm-hmm. And so, even if that's the only thing that can keep their relationship. This this sort of weird infatuation yeah. they have with each other going, uh, that's convincing to me okay. at this point. Uh, and the thing is, with the other part about how you know why would anyone why would people why were so many people drawn to this idea in the first place of going into John Malkovich's mind? You know, it's a it's a little bit of a hang up that I don't feel like is completely answered in my mind, but it doesn't make or break the movie. To well, me. I would hope not. <laughs> that's not really what the movie's about, to be honest. Now, on our website, we had a poll. Um, for people to weigh in on John Malkovich, the choices were love it, like it, not a fan. Am I correct? That's it. Yep. And what were the results of that? Well, you know, actually, um, I was expecting I, I was expecting to be much more in the minority on this one. To be really? honest, I, I looked. How at, did you vote? I, did you vote just like I, it? I, I voted as a like it. Okay. You know, I, I'm not going to say I wasn't a fan because I I appreciated it. I thought okay. it, I, I knew there was something special going on. So you know, we had love it, like it, and, uh, not a fan. And honestly, it was pretty close between love it and like it. We had 50% loving it. So that's half of the people who took the poll love this movie. I think that's pretty, that says a lot about the movie when half the people love it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Your people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the ones that have all drank in the Spike Jones Kool-Aid. That's right. Uh, and then there was 42% who liked it, uh, who were on the same page as me. And I would actually, uh, for those of you that 42% rewatch this movie because, uh, uh, if you were like me and didn't quite get it the first time, uh, it, there's a lot. There's a lot more 
going on, even on an entertainment level. Uh, you know, if you the, the jokes lend themselves to multiple viewings. Um, so, are you saying that you've moved from like it to love it? I, you're gonna make me do this, aren't you? I'm gonna. Well, yeah, <laughs> I guess you're so. gonna make me do this. I'm, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I am. <laughs> Is this is I thought here's the thing I thought we were trying to come to mutual understanding that this isn't just about uh, being sticking right. to opinions this is about progressing as people as it's learning true. to agree to disagree that we can be friends it's true if we agree whether we disagree yeah. and I know in the past we have come to change our minds about things so I guess I'm making you do this do you like <laughs> it now or do you love it now I I I, I do love it yeah that's great yeah. to hear I will I love it and uh, we will I hope this doesn't make the podcast too boring for those that listen yeah, to it not. we need to throw a few more punches uh, we did have a I would say uh, at least eight percent that were not a fan not a fan and, interesting uh, so I guess at that point we've completely alienated that eight <laughs> percent <laughs> All right, well, it looks like it's kind of a happy ending for this first episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we actually came to a little bit of an agreement. Um, and so thank you so much for listening to this first episode. And I hope you keep on listening. Uh, make sure that you check out our website, canwestillbefriends.net. Get, uh, hit us up on Facebook and Twitter and give us a call. And uh, let us know what you think of the show, how we can improve it, or uh, how much you hate us. So, <laughs> Ryan, why don't you uh, let us know, uh, tell us what we're going to be doing uh, next episode. Well, the Oscars are coming up on March 2nd. So in the next episode, Nate and I are going to weigh in. What do, what do we think will? win what do we think should win um i'm not sure how much disagreeing there's going to be on that one but um we will it'll probably have more to do with the uh the dresses probably yeah who wore it best (laughs) is going to be our oscar follow-up show um but we're going to talk about our favorites who we think maybe got snubbed um at this year's oscars um little preview inside lewin davis (laughs) is going to come up spoiler alert (laughs) all right thanks for tuning in